Over 30 years of serving the Arizona homeowner. 13 years in a row ranking Arizona's best referral network. RosieOnTheHouse.com Protecting you, informing you, and educating you. It's Rosie on the House. Hey y'all, welcome back to Rosie on the House for the Independence Day weekend celebratory broadcast where we're going to be talking about all of our favorite things. You, your home, our great state of Arizona, and the United States of America. How could you not be interested in wrapping all of that up into one fantastic conversation? One of the great things about the country, I, Romy, welcome back, bud. Got to see a lot of it this last couple of weeks. How many how many miles older are you than the last time I saw oh, you? <laughs> somewhere over four thousand. Ooh, that was a road trip to Atlanta and back, huh? It was a long, long trip, but we had a good time. And you were dragging how many horses and kids along for the vo- for the joyride? So we had all the kids, and then the two horses for the competition for the junior high school. National Rodeo Finals, and thankfully, it'll be back in the same place next year, but Roxy won't be in junior high anymore, so we won't have to worry about making that trip. Well, any any good road stories? You know, the funniest thing coming back as it relates to radio, we were listening to terrestrial radio the whole way. We don't... No serious radio, no satellite radio, just... The truck's a 2007, and it's still got the stock stereo, so it has a CD player, but we don't have CDs. Okay. Um, (laughs) AM or FM? No no tape player, which was fine. We don't have any tapes either. No auxiliary to plug in a phone. Okay. Uh, So it was terrestrial radio the whole way, and, you know, just each... City, you know, or metropolitan area you come in and out of, you got to find a new station. And when we left Georgia, we had found one we had really liked. They had really quirky um, promos uh, for the station, but the, the music selection that they had was phenomenal. And it was 104.9. And that carried us to about midway through Alabama. We had to switch outside of Birmingham. And the interesting thing. Every time we would go out a signal, all you would have to do is hit seek, and the next station would be a country station. So we never had to search for music. You would just hit seek, and it would fall the next one. I don't know if it just happened to be <laughs> that we were on such a high FM frequency, 104.9, you know, 105. You're almost all the way to the uh, right side of the dial, and you we just hit seek going left. And every time, you know, coming back across, <laughs> moving left, it would hit. A country station with one exception, and that was in Memphis, Tennessee. We landed on, I, I think they call it like an urban top 40. It, it was just commercials, so we left it on there to see what it played. And the commercial that uh, we got to listen to was a public service announcement about why you shouldn't be shooting or murdering people. And that you, <laughs> before you pull the trigger, uh, be thinking about the... The six that are going to carry you or the 12 that are going to judge you. And if you're worried about your peers thinking you're a square for not shooting the trigger, it's better to be a square than a rectangle, like as in a rectangular prison cell or a rectangle pine box. And I turned around to the kids and I said, now, if you're ever traveling with dad (laughs) and that's what you hear on the radio, 
do not stop for any reason. <laughs> if not- you are out of if you were planning on getting gas and you don't have enough to get to the other side of the city, turn around and go back to whatever small country if, the town you pass at, uh, or service station. And uh, if that's your PSA announcement, do not shop real estate. Do not right? stop and get out. No. Oh, oh, but and what was fun here a little while later, as we go through Little Rock, Arkansas has these massive brick churches. Oh yeah, you know, small oh, yeah. red brick, just hundreds of millions of bricks into these huge mega churches. And as we go through past one, it's a, it's a Pentecostal church on the right-hand side as we're coming around the bend on I-40. It's kind of weaving around the mountain. We come around the other side of the mountain, there's this big old billboard, and it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And Amanda says, well, I guess the problems in this region of the country are a little different than Memphis. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, man. Well, you can't take a road trip in America and not come home with a couple stories, so that's great. We're here celebrating Independence Day weekend on this broadcast, and to do that, I invited a uh, a special guest into the studio. He's a repeat guest. Uh, we never have him on where we aren't flooded with positive feedback on what he contributes to the to the. The, the taste of Rosie on the House, and it's Dr. David Dean from Grand Canyon University. Doctor, thanks for carving time out of this holiday weekend to come in, man. Thanks for having me in. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's always a good time to come in on a holiday weekend. Well, like I say, we never have you in where we don't get tons of feedback on how great a contributor you are to the effort. So in today's show, the next couple of hours, we're going to be weaving through a couple things as it relates to my questions about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution with a couple of uh, bonus questions thrown in on uh, the Bill of Rights. So you, you we're going to weave that through the Home Improvement Show, okay? Sure. Forget swinging hammers. We're going to swing the Constitution today. <laughs> there you go. I do have to tell you, I'm reading a book right now. We we delivered a car to our baby daughter to uh, the, the D.C. area. And so Jennifer and I took the opportunity to go visit. We like to visit presidential libraries wherever we go. Uh, well, we went to go see Monticello. Uh, and I bought a book. They signed their lives away. And it's the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And it's it's just three-page summaries of each one of the signers. And so you can crawl in bed at night, turn on your nightlight, and read like about five or six of these guys and, you know, do it in no time. I'm I'm to the point, if I, again, if I could be king for a day, I'd make that book mandatory reading for anybody that wanted to vote. Sure. It was, uh, I think, Franklin that said, you know, surely we all have to hang together or we'll all hang separately. I mean, what those, I mean, these are guys from every walk of life coming together. Um, I, I was surprised how young, young a lot of them were. Well, it's inspiring you know, as a story for us to understand today that, you know, radical change or important change can happen if people will make the sacrifice or make the, the stand for it. Absolutely. Make the commitment. So let's let's start with the first paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. Now, if I put it in layman's terms, it's basically basically a, a bunch of guys saying when in the course of human events, uh, this group of people decides to sever their relationships from the other group of people. Uh, it's it's polite uh, and mandated by history for us to declare why we're separating. And then they go on to list a bunch of grievances. 
Right. And and the important distinction on that is that they're invoking, when Jefferson wrote that document, he's invoking the ideas of John Locke and the ideas of uh, the Enlightenment that says people should be able to choose who governs them. And when the government isn't doing what you want it to do, get rid of it and get your own government kind of a thing. Um, Why is it that treason? Well, in the case of the Declaration of Independence, they were considered being treasonous by the mother country of England. But the Englishmen, the the colonists now, uh, had been so used to the habit of self-government since going back to their original charters for their colonies that they didn't see it as treason. They thought that they were protecting their rights as Englishmen. Um, the whole issue of, of the Declaration, you'll notice as they go through the grievances, they don't talk about Parliament. Um, Parliament was over them, but their big cry about taxation without representation was a big issue because they didn't see themselves as under Parliament's authority. They had legislative bodies, the House of Burgesses and things here in the colonies that were their own legislatures. They saw themselves more sovereign, answerable to the king. And that's kind of the distinction of the Declaration is that the Declaration is— It's a list of grievances about old King George. About the king, right. There's a lot of things they don't like about what he's doing and mandating and 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 enforcing upon them. Right. And whenever uh, it happens to be connected to Parliament, they just call it the king and his friends. Uh, kind of a thing to kind of keep that uh, under the under the download, because what they're really doing is they're saying we have this sovereign king that we have been answering to, and now we're not going to answer to many anymore. And that brings up a really interesting question for the founding fathers. Well, if we're not going to be under a sovereign king, who's going to be sovereign? And that's why when we get to the Constitution, they use that phrase "we the people." That's a that's a that's a journey that they have that's to go huge. on. That's a huge connect. Big big journey that they have to go on to get to that that place. Because normally you would think, well, we're sovereign to the government. And I think the lesson that we should take away that we should really embolden for this July Fourth, we can just to think about the fact that. The government doesn't – we don't answer to the government. The government answers to us, we the people. In a, when, when the balance is in correct <laughs> in correct order, I would say. Right. It, that's the way it should be. Right. Well, and again, that goes back to John Locke's ideas that, you know, we have these natural rights, uh, life, liberty. Uh, Jefferson called it the pursuit of happiness. Uh, Locke describes it as the uh, right over our state. Uh, You work hard, you get to make money, and then you can buy whatever you want. Your state makes you happy. So Now, one of the things I remember, one of the things I remember from history class um, was there were other countries that England kind of ruled in this fashion, where they they had their own forms of government, but they had to kind of be subjected to the king, right? Right. Um, they allowed other legislative bodies. Right. So prior to like 1707, uh, Scotland, for example, was a, its own realm that had its own legislative body, but was answerable to the king. So the parliament in London didn't manage Scotland. The parliament in London didn't manage Part of France didn't manage other places and shouldn't be managing us. Um, but the um, this idea of sovereignty, they were answerable to that king, and that king is who they decided that they're going to break away from. So, guys, that was really great. Uh, any any home improvement plan for the next hour? <laughs> Just curious. 
we did say Not something we about it. we did say the House of Parliament. Oh, we did we did say that. There you go. There you go. There we'll be, it is a home improvement show here at Rosie on the House. We'll come back with some of the texts that are coming in right now. Answer some questions about your house, home, castle, or cabin, and continue the conversation with Dr. David Dean about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of this great country. On this 4th of July weekend, we hope you've got your flag flying. We've always got ours flying. And if you're unfamiliar with how to or uh, you don't have a flagpole, that is part of our topic for our 10 o'clock hour, uh, properly installing a flagpole and properly displaying your American flag and your Arizona flag and whatever other flag you might uh, have out on your flagpole. But one thing I did notice when I got back from our road trip was a lot of beetles at our home. <laughs> and I didn't think much of it. I just, you know, killed them and moved on. Got the shop back out. And but coming into the office, we've got a, a beetle invasion that we haven't seen here before. Romy, we do. We had so much input at the office this week from people calling you know, is this a plague of the Old Testament? I mean, we, we had pictures sent where literally thousands of half-inch beetles were all laying dead on this one back patio. It was uh, You could not take a step without stepping on 15 or 20 dead beetles. I saw a post from a nurse who said that her son woke up with a beetle in his ear. Ew. And she did go through the, the explanation on how you, how you extract them. Uh, you lay the the victim on the side of their head with the ear, the occupied ear up. And then you flood the ear with uh, alcohol and the bug will crawl out. Mm. Do not go in there fishing with tweezers. You you drown the bug out. Okay. So just Good. where else but Rosie on the house could you learn about that? There are 350,000 different types of beetles on the planet. And people all assume uh, if you've been in Arizona a little while, that that invasion of half-inch beetles were all baby Palo Verde beetles. They weren't. But we are beginning to see Palo Verde beetles, the little B-52 bombers that are flying in everybody's backyard right now. Have we gotten any of our bug experts input on it? Because I know you'll see different things that have life cycles uh, that can be up to 17 years. So I mean, Not is this, a beetle. <laughs> the, this isn't uh, a strange life cycle of some... Special beetle, it's just... We do have an ex a detailed explanation, but it isn't anything to be concerned about because it isn't going to last that long. They just, they just don't have that long a life cycle. We're talking a little bit about the English invasion and what we did to offset it back in the 1700s. But I do want to bring up an article that I read because uh, I want... I, you know, it's my goal to be every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And I, I, I'm going to crawl in the community confessional here, and I'm going to share with y'all. Um, it's hard to be everybody's best friend when I'm out there giving the estimates for remodeling that I'm currently giving. Uh, I'm not winning any popularity contests. <laughs> when, when someone asks me for a quote to do this or that or this and that, and I go back with an estimate— uh, there was an article in a trade magazine. It's a national trade magazine, Qualified Remodeler. And it, the headline is, there are deep concerns over cost blunting the remodel demand. Well, duh. <laughs> 
We had an occasion to quote a kitchen that had had some water damage done. And we quoted that, and the homeowner was having some problems with the insurance company getting it settled. So we we waited about nine months before we quoted exactly the same work. Nothing was changed. At no, no specification, no material, no dimension, nothing changed. And in nine months, exactly the same job went up 37%. Mm. Ouch. We're all stunned. I mean, it's it, like I say, we're not winning any property popularity contests, and there are deep concerns that the accelerating costs of these remodeling projects are going to end up blunting this. Uh, we were talking over a little cup of coffee before the show, Dr. Dean, that uh, you've kind of experienced a little bit of this at your own house here recently. Yeah, we've uh, <laughs> contracted uh, for a, a master bathroom shower remodel because um, we've done the rest of the work ourselves, but doing a shower install is more complicated than it I is. want to take yes, on. Yes, it is. It so is. we took your advice and hired the professionals, and they came in and gave us a quote and said, we'll see you in 13 weeks when the materials arrive. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. And, and you don't need to tell me what you're spending, but I just want a yes or no. When people call me and they tell me they want that second bathroom, you know, down the hall that's shared by two bedrooms, you, you know the floor plan. Mm-hmm. It's, that, it's that second bed, bathroom. And they want to take the tub out and convert it to a shower, a new bathroom vanity uh, cabinet, new flooring, some new lighting, new uh, mirrors. I tell them, I can't get in that room and out of that room doing what you want to do for a dime less than $25,000, and it's probably going to be closer to thirty. Yes or no with the experience you had? Yes, but I'm not doing the whole bathroom. No, I know. I know. So, you're, you're, the, ju- you're just doing one part of it. But the number, yeah, that's, that's about right, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. These were the same bathrooms we were quoting at ten to $15,000 a year and a half ago. Yeah. So, folks, I get it. That I'm not winning any popularity contest, but it hurts my feelings. <laughs> and I promise you that reputable remodeling contractors out there aren't necessarily making more money. We are literally just trying to protect our bottom line by passing on the costs that are being forced upon us and pushed upon us by all of our suppliers. So peace on earth (laughs) here on the Independence Day celebration of Rosie on the House. We'll be back, and I'd like to be talking about not one of our founding fathers, but when we get back, we'll be talking about John Locke. Sure. Looking forward to it. All roads lead to Sanderson Ford, even if that road starts in Perry, Georgia, which is where we <laughs> started out coming back in our 2007 F-350. Manual transmission, a 4,000-mile road trip to own a trailer and a manual transmission is uh, a little different. I, I, you actually that, miss it when you go back to an automatic. I think in old days. I'm, my right arm is like constantly flailing, looking for something. <laughs> uh, always good to have that Tinley capable of uh, uh, manual shifting, uh, dually pulling a four-horse trailer. And if you're in the market 
for a new ride, a Ford ride, you can get over to Sanderson Ford. This holiday weekend, just know this, uh, the owners at Sanderson Ford give the employees of Sanderson Ford every single Sunday off all year long. And this 4th of July, they will also have Monday off. But if you're shopping, get there Saturday or get there Tuesday. You take the Sunday and the Monday and enjoy the celebration weekend like it's supposed to be enjoyed with you and your family at home. Looking for a new vehicle? Get over to Sanderson Ford on 51st Avenue in Glendale, just south of Glendale Avenue, right at Maryland. 64 acres. 64 acres. That's bigger than Disneyland. All Ford vehicles. New and used. I promise you, it's the only place I've bought a vehicle in the last 40 years. You give them a try, you'll never buy any other place. Sanderson Ford. Continuing our conversation this hour, we've got Dr. Dean, professor of history at the Grand Canyon University right here in uh, the Phoenix area. You guys have really changed a lot in the last 10 years, 20 years. <laughs> they, they don't do home improvement. They just build new homes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're adding uh, more dormitories every semester. I think they're adding 2,000 more beds for this coming fall and 2,000 the following fall. And it's just it's just growing uh, great. And, and, and the kids are coming in and they're very excited. And what is really great with all that, that growth, you would think that they would get away from their, their kind of foundation core beliefs, but they're really, really about solidifying those with all the student experiences and stuff. So it's really great. Which I think is probably the reason for the the success of the university. The, certainly the demand. That's why students come from all over the country to go there. And I had the opportunity to talk to one of your department leaders at a event the Registered Contractors was holding, and they're putting together a apprentice program for an electrician. Mm-hmm. So not only your traditional university, but it's also – uh, a trade opportunities now available through Grand Canyon. Right, trying to meet the demand for uh, what thirty five thousand electricians or so. They, That's uh, right. They uh, put together a program that fax tracks them through the electrical part of that program, um, and then students can come back and return once they've got that job and they're out there working, whatnot. They can return as a as an adult or after hours kind of non-traditional learner to pick up a degree or whatever they might need to own their business or those kind of things, but certainly to get them out into the field. Uh, and so like a one-year program or whatnot. And we're GCU is really, really excited about that. I'd like to see them do more of that with other other disciplines and other trades. Oh, I'm sure we'll see that as the success for this program uh, you know, starts to, to come together. Because I think the, the first one is happening this fall, mm-hmm. the, the first session for this class so i i mean masons carpenters uh plumbers air conditioning technicians there's no shortages of trades that could be added on to that right and and that just building off the the engineering college and in the more theoretical work but then it's to give them those hands-on and get them really out there so well doctor we appreciate you joining us on this independence day broadcast uh, special edition of Rosie on the House. And I invited you in to kind of thread through all of our information about home improvement with some articles and some information about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So the Declaration of Independence, as we covered earlier in the hour, was really our forefathers, our the patriots, the founding fathers of this country, pretty much saying, King George, here are our grievances against you, and we are going to de- declare publicly, just because it's good manners, to the rest of the world on why we are declaring these demand for independence 
against these grievances. Right. It's a way of providing the rationale to the the sovereign, to the to the rest of the world, and even to colonists to convince them uh, that, hey, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. We've all suffered under this king. Um, and so let's talk about what those sufferings are and let's make something new. That's kind of where they were going with this. Where, what background were they drawing from to establish this self-reign, self-rule idea of sovereignty? Well, like any good building, you need a good foundation. You and, do. And the intellectual foundation of our document, our Declaration of Independence and Constitution, comes from philosopher John Locke. Uh, John Locke— Because uh, you're, you're basically in a monarchy— uh, who who is was it John Locke that said, "Hey, we don't have to live like this." Right, he's kind of the first one to kind of bring that together in his treatise on government. For th- hundreds of years, there was this idea that the king was divine and he was right, and you just obeyed because he owned everything. He was the only one important, and you, the person, the average Joe, had no say so, no nothing, and all of that, unless you were nobility or something on those lines. But what John Locke comes along and says, "Hold on a second. We, the people, we have uh, 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 this, under these rulers, the ruler is benevolent, should be looking after our needs, should be taking care of those things that are basic rights of us. And if the king is doing that, then we should follow and obey them. But when the king doesn't do that, when he's selfish, when he's just out for his own interest, raising taxes, doing things that he wants, and the people are suffering, time to get rid of them. You have this freedom to go and do something else that really the king— um, that our own rights, our own possession, our own freedom uh, is to follow our own natural rights, to be happy, uh, to possess our own bodies, uh, to protect others, to have that life, that liberty and freedom and whatnot. And as John Locke talked about, again, the, your estate or your pursuit of happiness, that's the two things. Because obviously, if you work hard and you put that money in your pocket and you want to buy a house, you want to buy a car, you want to spend it on charity, whatever makes you happy, it's the fruits of your labor. And the king would take that in taxation. They would take that. They would interfere with that. And then you were miserable. And when the people became too miserable, well, John Locke says, time to get a government uh, it's going to take care of those things. Where, where, and I'm just curious, where did he come up with this idea? Because we've got the Dean family living in England back in the 1400s, and they've got relatives, the Romeros, over in Spain, and they're living under a different monarch. I mean, the entire world was being ruled by kings right? But, and but kingdoms. Locke comes along and says, mankind has these natural rights. These aren't given to you by government. They're not granted to you. They don't come and flow from the king. This they, is, I mean, this is this is changing all of human history. Changes all of human history. This is a product of the Enlightenment. It dispels all those things from years, centuries past, and says we have these things, and they come from somewhere else, but not you, the king. I can't and, believe they allowed Locke to live like <laughs> like past his first public discourse. Um, Well, it's interesting when you think about how he arrives at that. If you think about just mankind, right? You get up, uh, you know, in the the pre-civilization kind of days, you get up every day and you gather your berries and you build your hut and everything's fine. Well, if you start gathering berries where somebody else is gathering berries, you're going to run into conflict. 
So eventually when you get enough people around each other, you have to say, okay, we've got to come up with some system, some way of, of protecting our berries and how, some way of trading our berries with other groups and protecting ourselves from invasion from others. And so what they do is they get together and they say, let's select some leaders to be in charge of us to help us manage that. That's just the natural course of things. And so we have to give up some of our individual freedoms because we want to have this kind of collective protection, collective working together, because at the end of the day, that helps us all have our life, our liberty, and our pursuit of happiness. But the problem is, is that when government gets overreaching, overstepping and whatnot, it starts to take away those things. When we've selected a bunch of leaders that are not doing that protections, not helping us solve those problems, helping preserve our berry patches, then it's time to get rid of that and put in another set of government, a new government that's do that. And that's kind of the whole basis of Locke's thing, that this natural state is that we just want to live freely and take care of ourselves and take care of our families and whatnot and, and, and get along. And where, where was he physically when he was writing these papers and coming up with these thoughts? Well, Locke uh, comes from uh, England and European traditions, uh, and he's observing what's going on around monarchies across the uh, um, the Europe at the time, the French and the uh, the Spanish and the Holy Roman Emperor, and and, and even in England, you see this a lot with Charles uh, the First. This idea that uh, during the Puritan world, where he says, "I'm the king, and I'm not going to listen to you guys. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm the king, and I'm going to raise taxes and stuff. I don't want to make you fight my wars. I'm going to make you do these things." And people are like, "Hold on a second. In fact, people became so miserable, as John Locke would describe it, that they actually enter in a state of war with that monarch." With the government, when people get really miserable, they're going to take on fight rather than just being compliant. And that's kind of where the English people got to in the civil war that went on in England. And then later on, that's where the American colonists, that's where our founding fathers, they got to a level of frustration that they entered into a state of war with the very government that was supposed to be there to protect their, essentially their little berry patch. Then the French did the same thing. Right after us. Right. The French did the same thing because their king was, again, exploiting uh, everything. Of course, they had uh, the upper classes were also doing that. Their their revolution is slightly different than ours. Ours was a revolution that we would say is conservative in that the founding fathers had a way of life that was here in America that the king was now imposing on. That's what the Declaration of Independence articulates and that we were just resetting back to what we knew was comfortable. Over in France, they had had this evolution in their society where more and more people were suffering because fewer and fewer people contained all the wealth and all the power. 2%, 3% of the nation had all the wealth and power. 97% of the, of the population was in poverty. And so they said, we're going to flip this. That's their revolution, as opposed to ours was to kind of maintain what we already knew was working for us. Hypothetical question. Had we not won the war for independence, would the Frenchmen have revolted? Yeah. Oh, they would? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. all yeah. right. Yeah. So they were fed up enough all by themselves. They didn't draw inspiration from us and say, okay. oh, well, they did it. We can do it uh, now. Okay, all right. Uh, now, there's other people down the road, like Vietnam, looked at our American Revolution and said, well, if they can do it, then we can do it ourselves. So so that patterns of revolutions can go on. Um, but uh, no, the French didn't look at us and go, oh, they're oh, successful, okay. so we will go too. So. Okay. All right. Well, I, I was jumping to conclusions, that's for sure. So John Locke, he starts these while he is in Europe. 
Right. He writes these. In fact, he's a European philosopher, but he's uh, well read by Jefferson and Madison and Adams and Washington and Franklin. They're all reading these things because they're learned persons and they're reading John Locke's works. And that's informing them their ideas, which taking back to that idea of sovereignty, they realize that the people, according to John Locke, you hold the power. And you select Amen. who's going to have it and who's not. Amen. Well, I was supposed to answer a question this segment about bathroom grab bars. <laughs> and I will. I promise. When we get back, we begin in the text here about what is the proper size grab bar for a bathroom. And there are lots of considerations to make when you're making that decision. So I'll cover that real quick when we get back. And we'll be wrapping up a little bit about the points we've raised this hour on the Declaration of Independence next hour, I want to go into the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. You ready for that? Sure. All right. Hang on, y'all. It's Rosie on the House with you every Saturday morning, your Arizona tradition since 1988. And we're happy our flagship Station KTAR is celebrating their 100th anniversary. It's 4th of July weekend. We've got a a little off the topic of home improvement, talking a little bit about the Constitution and and the Bill of Rights, but it's things that we live with in our home. It's what allows us to have our homes. We talked about the Beatles that were out this year earlier. Um, If you're new to Arizona, the Desert Frogs come out this time of year as well. And they are pretty, uh, pretty gnarly. And toxic. If you've got dogs, uh, you know, you we, we've lost one to that years and years ago. Um, if they eat it or ingest it, it causes uh, brain damage and it, 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 it will kill them. So just keep them clear. Uh, you know, keep your – if you've got any ponding water or pooling water, they love that. If you've got uh, – you know, check around your hoses to make sure you don't have any uh, areas that contain a lot of extra moisture and, you know, they'll that'll – naturally take care of the problem for you they'll find their own and and then you know they're only out during the rain and then they go back uh underground and live underground the rest of for years the, you know they live up to 12 years yeah so for those of you draining your dishwasher out into the yard no <laughs> yeah you're you're probably one of the contributors of the frog breeding population well, we're getting texts here during the show about questions about home improvement. Larry's uh, asking about what size is the right size of a grab bar for a bathroom. And a lot of people get hung up because they know their studs in the wall are 16 or 24 inches. So they order them 16 or 24 with hopes that the stud's going to be in the right place. The Franklin stud sensor that we sell uh, on our website in the e-store probably does as good a job of any stud sensor as far as moving it along the surface of the wall and determining where those vertical studs are. But don't concern yourself with buying a 16 or 24 inch grab bar. Buy something a little longer and you'll just put it on an angle. Find the studs and move it at the angle necessary to line. Get Get a 30 inch bar and line it up where it catches the studs and 30 inches isn't going to catch any studs until you start tilting it up or down one direction or another. That's a very easy way to take a longer than 
needed Talbar and put it to great use. So that's my tip on grab bar selection. Can we get back to Dr. Dean? Are you going to let me do that, babe? Okay. Dr. David Dean, uh, Associate Professor of History at Grand Canyon University, always a stellar star. Uh, I get you on the show, and the last thing I think about is drywall or roof leaks or cabinets or countertops. And we've been talking this last hour uh, as a part of our Independence Day special event broadcast of the Declaration of Independence. And when Abraham Lincoln said this experiment, it really was. Yeah, they didn't know where it was going to go. They're like, well, let's declare independence. And then they had they had a document that was kind of managing things, but that didn't work out. And we'll talk about that in the next segment. Uh, but the Declaration of Independence was really about starting that that journey, a new journey, a new nation kind of thing. And how would they even know to think of three uh, arms of well, organization? They were, again, they were reading uh, different philosophers, and uh, uh, Montesquieu, one of the European philosophers, talked about how if all the power to make a law, enforce a law, and then determine if you're guilty of the law is all in one hands, the king, then that's not good. And so he preached about this idea, wrote about this idea of, of separation of those powers. And in using Locke, if you put a group of people in charge of making laws and another group of people in charge of enforcing or carrying out those laws and another group of people adjudicating whether you've broken that law or not, that separates those powers. And so that embeds itself into our Constitution. That's a critically genius component of this experiment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's it's what it's what gives us our three branches of government and makes our Constitution unique enough that everybody else follows it afterwards. Everybody. Everybody that writes a democratic constitution <laughs> that wants to be like America, I guess. Not everybody. But oh, I guess. man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, Roma, you were talking a little bit earlier about the fact that we're going to cover flag, flag etiquette, flag display, and flagpole construction or mounting a flag to your house or your residence. Uh, I don't think many people understand what size footing is required for a flagpole. And I know they don't. And, and it's similar to what we install when we're putting these uh, vertical posts in the ground to erect these shade sails that catch the wind and cover areas of your yard from the direct sun. There's an incredible amount of force on the top end of any of these poles. And you take a three by five or a four by six American flag put it on top of a 15 or 20 foot pole and allow a 15 to 20 mile an hour breeze to catch it. There's a tremendous amount of force. So we're going to talk a little bit about what do you need to do to pin that flagpole adequately and safely to last a long, long time. Those are all things we're going to be covering right here at Rose on the House, as well as we've gotten some other some other questions about uh, shower heads and uh, oh, I want I do want to congratulate Arizona Fishing Game. They're they are going to greatly enhance their enforcement on the lakes around the lake this weekend, and I couldn't in- support that more strongly. Drinking and driving a boat is as bad or worse than drinking or driving on the highway.